Beate Chalet built and grew a photography business which she sold to Bill Gates. She is known as the growth architect and provides strategies, blueprints and results oriented tangible tools and techniques that unify your teams, give clear steps to improve your business systems and strengthen your leadership skills. This episode, you will learn how to make your business survive any situation it is put in, what the women's code is, how to better lead your business and the secret to building systems that will improve your businesses. My father had been fired from his job as a CEO of a dairy company, and I recognized that his attitude or behavior was very similar to my attitude and behavior. And I was at that time a photo editor, photo editor at Elle magazine in Germany. And I realized that at 23, when you hold a position like this, people will do anything for you because you are holding a particular position. They are not doing this because they love you or they think you're an amazing person. And so when I saw what happened to my father, I recognized that I had a lot of that kind of being a jerk attitude about myself. I mean, I was successful. It was, I was young. I was working at a prestigious uh, company. I was doing something creative, which I loved but I wasn't happy. And so when I saw what happened to my dad, I recognized I was going down that same road and I didn't want to be that. I wanted to make a shift to becoming someone I actually liked and appreciated. I was in that self-loathing part of my life at that time. And so when you came to America, did you kind of stick in the kind of photo editing world or did you come and be like, right, whatever LA has to offer, whatever America has to offer, I'm going to just jump into that. Well, at first I went to Key West. I lived on a houseboat with no water and electricity as a nanny for a seven-year-old child, which was great fun for about three, four months just to get off this high-level, high-fashion trip that I was on. Then I decided that I was going to go to Los Angeles, and that's where I then moved to and been have been ever since. To me, Sam, uh, Los Angeles is the city of misfits. And as a result, I fit in just perfectly. <laughs> so everybody who, who has no place anywhere else comes here and then they all fit in. I started here first having a job as a artist representative for hair and makeup artists. And that was expanded into being a rep for photographers. And then I was laid off in a big recession after I just had a baby. I was in a very quickly, very bad marriage with a with a baby having been laid off. And that's when the journey really begins. And the, and the journey began of the fact that you were like, I need to kind of like empower myself. I'm, I'm a woman, I'm here, and I, I want to be kind of, you know, making making my mark on the, on the world type thing. I don't know if I thought about it like that, probably to a certain extent, because when you're young, you just don't know all the stuff that can go wrong. So you just keep doing it. When you get older, you have a the bucket of stuff that went wrong is much larger than the bucket that you have carrying around at that time. So for me, it was that I kind of really didn't have a choice. I was unemployable. I, as I said, you know, Los Angeles was going through a massive recession at the time, and I I couldn't find another job. So the gentleman that I was working for said 
if you want to continue doing what you do, the photographer representation, you're welcome to do that. I'm shutting it down. Take it with you. And so that's how my business was born. And I basically stumbled in the dark into becoming an entrepreneur. And did that kind of spawn off the whole growth architect thing? Or was that something that came like later down the road? So I believe that businesses, generally speaking, go through about eight different changes. I think on average, that's the number. So I started out as an artist representative for hair and makeup artists. Then I became an artist representative for photographers. Then I did photography production. Then I started stock photography syndication. Then I sold that business. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Then I uh, started to work for the company that purchased me. Then I went into a photography business consulting service. When the photography business imploded, I expanded it to entrepreneurial consulting, only to find out I attracted more broke people. <laughs> and then I went into uh, the, the format where we are at right now, which is a consulting company that is working with visionaries and leaders to help them grow their authority and scale their impact. Wow. So that, that's like you said, there were quite a few changes there. And, you know, something that you kind of glossed over was the fact that you've had a, a successful business as in you've had a business that you've exited, which is something that many entrepreneurs wish for, but they don't quite make it to. So talk me through the details of that business that you managed to sell, like, the, you know, what it was, what it did, the process of selling it, and then the transition into working for the company that actually bought you. Yes. Yeah, so the story goes that after I was going through a decade of bad luck and bad luck is really bad luck and tragedies. So we are talking about fires, riots, floods, earthquakes, September 11th, a tsunami and uh, a lawsuit. So I covered everything that you can possibly cover. And it felt to me, Sam, as if every time I was just about to get up from another big blow that you know, somebody stood there with a frying pan, an iron frying pan, thank you, <laughs> and just whacked me over the head and said, nope, you're not ready yet. And then just when I overcame that and I, I gathered my stuff and I got back on my feet, then, you know, the frying pan came and whacked me over the head again. There's a quote by author Marion Williamson where she said, that when we're down on our knees, we keep praying, dear God, dear God, please help us, help us. And then you get back up and something else happens and you get back on your knees. And she says, there comes a point where you just don't get up. And I felt that that really was where I was at that point in my life. I just wasn't going to get up anymore from my knees. I mm. just was going to stay down there and go, dear God, whatever, right? Mm. Because it just kept coming and coming and coming. And then um, there was a defining moment where I was in Germany and, you know, and again, I, I want our listeners to really hear this because I'm sure that a lot of people who are listening to your podcast, Sam, are experiencing adversity or their dreams are not exactly panning out or they don't understand why stuff keeps happening to them is that these things were life-threatening things. I mean, I lost one of my key vendors, my key photographers in the tsunami. And there were only two photographers that, that, that vanished. And one, one of them was mine. I mean, what are the chances of that? Yeah. I had a, a, a business that was generating a million dollars in revenue as an artist representative and a producer. And then my vendor 
and my key employee got too close to each other and they had an idea how to run their own business, which was my business without me. Mm. And so I lost the business because of their actions and subsequently ended up in a lawsuit Mm. and then came on top of all the other things that just happened, which is now I'm going deep into debt and I'm, you know, I'm a hundred, hundred thousand dollars in debt and the lawsuit, you know, was pending, hanging over my head and then September 11th comes. And just as I'm thinking I'm, I'm getting back out because I have this juicy production season, there is September 11th happening. Mm. And within 24 hours, my business was over because yeah. there was nobody was going to fly in a plane to go to Los Angeles. I mean, I lost a half a million dollars in 24 hours. Yeah. And so here I am. And then the lawsuit settles and the lawsuit settles to the extent that I was able to pay my debt. Yeah. But and then I else. had nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm, how did you know? Exactly, Sam. And then I'm at zero. Yeah. And so here I am and I'm starting from zero again. And then I had this idea to build up this dog photography syndication, which coincidentally, or maybe by the greater plan of God, spirit, universe, whatever you want to call it, this photographer who caused all of this, he gave me this idea. And so I'm signing up the top photographers in this industry to become their representative to do their syndication for the architectural interior and at home photography. Yeah. And, but I'm, I have no money. So I'm going into debt again. Yeah. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. I'm now back in debt, $135,000. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, it, this is really not good when you have to borrow money to pay interest on borrowed money. And so I, I go to Germany, I visit my dad, my dad has a stroke. My dad didn't have a stroke. My dad had pancreatic cancer and in six weeks he dies. Oh. So on top of everything, being in debt, trying to figure out how to build this business as quickly as I can after I've been betrayed, after I've been uh, lied to, cheated after I've gone through all of this as a single mom immigrant. I'm standing now at a grave and I'm going, I don't even know what to do. Mm. And so my phone rings and it's my office in Los Angeles. And they said, we've just been served a notice. So now I'm also losing the house that I've, um, that I've been, Uh, that I've been living in. And so I go back and I say, defining moments in life sometimes are sort of when you have to learn how to surrender because you have no more control. Like at this moment, Hmm. I had no control, Sam. There was nothing I could control. I had no money. I, my, my best friend died. I'm in Germany. I'm paying for funeral and money. I don't have I'm a single mom. I I don't even know where I'm going to be living now. And all of this is just piling up. So I fell on my knees and I raised my fist and I yelled at God. Mm -hmm. And I said, if you have a plan, this now would be a really phenomenal time to fill me in. Yeah, I couldn't get it. I I just didn't know the plot anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, seriously, I mean, if you were to write a script about this, people go, okay, that's a little bit too much. Okay, can you just tone it down? Nobody believes that. Mm. And at that point, I surrendered. And one of the quotes that I'm well known for 
happened at that time. And it was, I will not drown in a puddle. Hmm. I will not drown in a puddle. If I drown, I'll drown in an ocean. At least it's worth it. Hmm. Is this big enough for me to fail? And we were really getting to that point where it really was big enough for me to fail. Yeah. And so I surrendered. I came back to Los Angeles. I got ready to file bankruptcy and I get a letter from the White House. The White House. Yeah. The White House in Washington. And I got a letter from the President of the United States. Because in my absolute desperation, I had written a letter to the president of the United States. Who was the president at the time? Bush? Obama? It was George W. Bush. Okay. Lovely guy. And at the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's a whole other story. <laughs> and at that point, I was so desperate that I really didn't have anything to lose. Mm. And my former mother-in-law just wouldn't shut up about it. She'd go like, just write the president. He's your president. If the president, if not the president, then who will be helping you? The president, the president. And I'm like, fine, fine, fine. I'm going to write the damn letter. Okay. So just, I don't have to listen to you anymore. Yeah. Well, and then I get a letter from the white house and it says the president is delighted to hear from you. I'm sure he is. And uh, it put me in touch with a small business administration that freed up that helped me to get to a bank that was restructuring my my debt that was all over the place, credit mm. card debt, maxed out, I mean, the whole nine yards. It's kind of like a classic story of, of desperation, audacity, resilience, whatever you want to call it. Mm. And when it freed up my line of credit, I had the cash to get to break even. Mm. Three months later, that's how close we were. And 18 months later, I'm the world leader in my industry. And I am licensing at home celebrity story, which I became the world leader in, into 79 countries in the world. And that's how a Bill Bill Gates owned company, Bill Gates himself owned it. it, was not Microsoft. And they said to me, well, how are you doing this? And I said, like any respecting self-respecting woman would. I said, you want to know what I do? You have to pay for it. Yeah. And so they made me an offer too good to be refused. And that's how I became 18 months after the worst moment in my life, a self-made multimillionaire. What was that moment like? Because there's so many different stories that you hear from people when they become a multi-billionaire or a millionaire and sell their business. They go, they check their bank account, they see the, you know, the many commas and zeros and they get excited or, you know, they go out for a big meal with their family. What, what was that moment like for you? What was that feeling? Well, there's definitely the moment where you open the, the account and there's this number in there and you, I think the words that come to mind is holy shit. Mm. I mean, what, what, what else would you think? Yeah. And you look at this number and you go, I can pay for my daughter's college. I can buy myself a house. Mm. Nobody will ever throw me out on the street again. I'm never again at anybody's mercy. Mm. Those were the two main thoughts that went through my mind. And then they, because the purchase agreement included a, um, a transition timeframe where I was responsible for the integration and they wanted me around to make sure I, I, I showed them how I run everything. And I, we had everything set up on standard operational procedures. I mean, we had 
a plan and our numbers were in place and we had a controller. I mean, we, we, we had things really running well. Mm. And so I did the integration in six months and then they offered me a different position to become the senior director for global entertainment. So I ran their global entertainment division for about a year and a half, two years. And I saw what people go through when they work in corporations mm. and what that's like. And I'm like, I don't think I can do this. This yeah. is not for me. And what were you seeing? What were the types of things that were going on up there that you were like, oh gosh, I need to get out of here. I think that the whole structure in a system that's built by white men for white men mm. really doesn't work for anybody, yeah. including white men anymore. I mean, that's just <laughs> in a nutshell. If they've made themselves obsolete, that's how bad it is. Uh, well, what it is, it's that the structure is con is a continuation of, of an educational system. And the system is built on, we give you the data that we believe in. Yeah. You memorize it. If you regurgitate it, you get an A. Yeah. And that's how we go through life. Mm -hmm. Then we go into college and in college they say, here's the information. If yeah. you can regurgitate it and repeat it exactly like we told you, you're going to get an A. Yeah. And so our whole society set out for us to never think for ourselves, but to take at face value what somebody else is presenting to us and then get it graded on how good we are regurgitating this. Mm. And then they throw us into a job and they say, be you. And you go WTF. Yeah. What does that mean? Be you. Nobody... Everybody always criticized me for being me. Yeah. Everybody always says, I, I, I have every report card I've ever had, Sam says, talks too much. Yeah. And now suddenly they go and they say, well, tell us what you think. I'm like, wait, what? I mean, weren't we not allowed to not say anything? And now suddenly we are. Mm. And so people are set up to fail mm. because the system structure is set up in this inflexible way that is built the same way that the educational system is being set up. Yeah. And so freedom of expression or ideas are really not welcome because they threaten the structure. So now as we invite it and as people, white men, not willingly at first, had to open the doors to other people that did not look or act like them. People swarmed into a system that couldn't handle anything other than what it was built for. It's like, it's like corporate 1.0. That's mm. where we're still at. We're still in corporation 1.0. Yeah. And so the structure doesn't work for anybody who looks like you or me. Yeah. It doesn't work for anybody who's non-conforming. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work for anybody who is a free independent thinker. Mm. And now it's not working for millennials and yeah. Gen Z mm -hmm. and for the white men who built it anymore either. And they're in absolute shock, mm. aghast that what they've built is getting such bad grades. Yeah. And then we have these new companies, these new technology companies, and they are building structures and they're building in the same stupid way as it's always been built because the system is so structured that even the new companies are building their structure based on the old structure. Yeah. And again, it's not working. Look mm. at Facebook. Look at Twitter. Look at some of these companies. So 
that's kind of where I'm at, which is what prompted me to get into my work yeah. of helping visionaries and leaders to grow authority and scale their impact. Because I happen to really like non-conforming people. Yeah. I happen to like people with crazy big ideas. Mm. I happen to like people that look at it from a different perspective. And I want to help them build strategies, systems, and processes and workflows so that they can take this message out in the world. Yeah. And through that process, you've built a, a think tank or a group of people that are, you know, like you said, people thinking outside the box. How did you kind of come across these people and, and decide to bring them all together into this kind of one mission or this one movement? I think they, um, it's like the, and an energetic law of attraction. It, as you step up more and more and you get clear about who you are or what you're not, more and more people are going to find you that are going to be attracted to who you are and what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And so COVID and the pandemic certainly has changed a lot for us. I was doing a lot of work in the women's code, talking a lot about the structure before, and then the structure fell apart. Mm after I've just spent years talking about that it wasn't going to work mm. and everybody's calling me crazy. And then I'm watching live every day, how the structure is crumbling more and more and more and more and more. And then I looked at this, Sam, and I said, the problem with this now is that we can't even go at this from the perspective of white, black woman, man, because that narrative already in itself is confrontational. Mm. And the challenge that people have is much larger than an individual outlet. I think we have as people in general, as, as, as all of us, including the very people who built the system, the mm. exact same problems. So what does it mean and how are we going to change that? And so as I was adjusting the message and changing the message over the last two years and really focusing on building strategy and building in a mastermind around bringing people in a high level mastermind where we really help people build these workflows and strategies so that they can scale the impact because that's what it's about. So you have an idea, but how do you go out, Sam? Yeah. How do you tell more people about what is your mission? How do you, how do you scale that up aside mm. from the typical social media? What's the plan? Yeah. So that's, that's what we do. And the more we talk about it, the more people are going to find us. Yeah. And I was going to ask you actually, what is the women's code? Is that something that's kind of laced? Because I can see it in the background, you've got your book there. But um, if it's not in the book, don't get to the book yet because we'll get to that later. But what is the women's code? So the women's code I have designed years and years and years and years ago because I learned when I was working in the corporate environment that women have a tendency to complain about how unfair the system is. Mm -hmm. And then we participate in the perpetuation of the problem. Right. And I saw that women throwing other women under the bus, uh, she tyrants, the, the stuff that happens that women do to other women in the workplace. I literally stood there sometimes with my jaw open. I said, you got to be kidding me. Mm. And so I wrote the book because I said, let's get real here for a moment. Yeah. Unless women get their own shit together and start supporting other women and not in the raw, raw equality and, you know, men do this and how can and gender pay cap. 
gender pay gap. But if we go at it from the reality of the first step, what do I do? Am I actually myself as a woman abiding by these very principles or am I a she tyrant? And I realized that I, I had some improvements to make myself. And so the idea of the women's code was to say the first step to anything in life is to, is to get to take responsibility over my own actions. Mm. And I wanted to create a code for women. Like men have a code. You don't stab a brother in the back. You don't talk about bad about another guy, especially in front of women, because you never know when something's going to come up where the brother needs to have your back. I mean, mm. you know, there are things that men don't ever even talk about. Yeah. But when you understand what the men's code is, I see the men's code in action all the time. Yeah. And I saw it, I recognized because my brain is wired to see structure and, 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 um, and processes. Mm. So when I see a pattern re re repeat in my head, I immediately start seeing the, 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 the process flow of how it works. Yeah. So I'm watching men do it and I'm going like, man, women don't have that. Yeah. We don't have that. Yeah. We don't abide by any of that. Mm. And then I thought about why that is. And that is because there's only 2% of women CEOs. So if I believe that I only have a 2% chance of being a CEO, then I will have to take every other woman out on the way. Yeah. But if I believe that the world is an equal playing field mm -hmm. and I have a 50-50 chance mm -hmm. to make a CEO, now my operational modus operandi is completely different. Yeah. And so that's how I wrote the book is to give women this code to say, we do have a code. Yeah. And, 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 and here's what's happening to women. Here's the reality of it. Here's how we can interact with each other. Here's how we can master or this and master is even a word that we, 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 we not even feel comfortable using anymore right now, yeah. but how can we proceed with really getting ahead of being in charge of our lives versus constantly trying to react to something. So the women's code is a series of behavioral ideas, structures, tools, and frameworks for women to learn how to have a code so that they can support each other and compete yeah. in this world. And the women's code is kind of laced throughout your book, happy woman, happy world, or is that okay? So that's kind of the running thread is through that book is I'm teaching you the women's code. This is how things should go and should be for, for all of us to succeed rather than to, to fight and backbite each other type thing. Yes, exactly. Along with the acknowledgement, what it's like to be a woman and that there is an inherent challenge to women because we are the biological gender that gives birth. Yeah. And by the nature of what we do and how we look and what our bodies are capable of, we are, and I'm going to have this, it's probably going to be a, a shocking revelation coming from a feminist. We are not the same. Mm. And that's not what I proclaim. We are not the same. We are equal, hmm. but equal means the equivalent. Yeah. And, and I think that for you, that probably there's a relationship in there that if I say I, as a white woman, you as a black man, what would be the equivalent be for you? Hmm. So I have to acknowledge that given where you come from, where I come from, where everyone comes from, where people come from and their experiences, I always need to think about what is the equivalent 
And that gets me to equal and nothing else does. Mm. So when I hear somebody whose family paid for college and then they got to go to Harvard and they said, I had to work hard and other people have the same chance, then I will tell you that what would be the equivalent to that for me or mm. for somebody else? And they don't get that because they working hard is not the sameness factor. Yeah. It is understanding that we all come from different backgrounds. Yes, we have all the same opportunities. We do. But the path to get there is not the same. There might be an equal factor, but what is the equivalent for them to get to that opportunity? And that would be very different. So I would need mentorship. You probably would need mentorship to yeah. get into that kind of position because you don't have these high-powered relationships. And I'm assuming you didn't graduate from Harvard. I, I didn't. No, I didn't, um, unfortunately. I, if I could have, I would have, you know? <laughs> exactly, right. So we, we don't have an alumni network yeah. that has Harvard graduates that are running in the most powerful positions mm. in the world. So in order for us to get to that level of success, the equivalent of what we need to seek in our lives is very different. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm laying the groundwork for in Happy Woman, Happy World. And that's really a lot of what I do in, in my work is to make sure that people do have this equivalent of an opportunity to get their message out. How do you kind of instill these ideas into these people's heads? Because the people that you're talking to, are obviously not the converted, they're people you're trying to convert to this way of thinking. How do you make them understand the concept of equality from your perspective or other people's perspective that you might, you know, want them to see it from like hey this person might be from this place and, and not have had such a great upbringing like you but they are very capable and if not you know they're gonna they're gonna excel help your business you know get to a new level you can't really convince anybody of something that they are not open to receiving i mean we've seen this here in the united states in the political landscape we've seen this in the uk in the political landscape we see it in france with the political landscape we see it everywhere in the world People have a tendency to believe that which they already believe in. Mm. And then they find reasons to confirm that what they already believe in is, is right, because otherwise they would be wrong and people don't want to be wrong. And then goes into this whole psychological neurolinguistic programming and, and the psyche of our subconscious, yeah. just not wanting to be wrong about anything ever and hating change, period. Yeah. So we are looking for, and, and I look for in my work, to people who have a certain level of awareness. You know, you don't see me on a right-wing uh, political podcast. Yeah. You see me on podcasts with people that have interest in different opinions or they want to hear stories of, of, of what it's really like, not confirmations of what they already believe in. You know, sometimes when I watch some of the, um, you know, the, the arguments that are on the right side and on the left side. Yeah. And I'm going like, you, you just, you just talking about things that you already believe in and you're just finding more people to confirm that what you believe in is right. Mm. That's not a conversation. That's a monologue. Yeah. So, so to answer your question, I think it's a part of trusting that these types of people find me, you know, I do a lot of podcasts. So anybody here who listens, who heard something where they go, Oh, my God, I have to speak to her. Reach out, send me a DM, reach out on social media, go to my website, fill out the contact form. I'd love to hear from you. I want to have these conversations, but 
it is about putting the message out for people to resonate with mm. and then finding those that want to hear it, that are ready to hear it, and that they're willing to be the change makers, because that's what I do. I yeah. say that everybody who comes to me is somebody who's already activated, and only somebody who's activated knows what that actually means. Yeah. And I uh, just spoke to my astrologer the other day, and she said something really beautiful, which I, which I will be using from here on out. She mm. said that you nurture people to lead. And I love that. That's, that's, I think, in a nutshell, that's what I'm here for is I, I want to help people that are, are feeling called to lead on whether that's a coach, a consultant, a service provider, a marketer, mm -hmm. a podcaster. I can take your message, put it on steroids, give you your differentiation factor, build your system and have you go out and crush it. Yeah. How, how do you build or strengthen, sorry, your leadership skills? Well, it, first of all, it depends on what it is that you're leading. So we, we always reverse engineer everything. We, we start, Sam, with where are you starting? Like, you know, where are you here today? So mm -hmm. let's take stake and let's be real about where that really is. Yeah. We look into what is it that you want? Do you want people on every continent to listen to this podcast? What's the end game here? Mm. Are you running an educational service? Are you building your own business? What's that look like? Where, 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 where is that? What does the freedom mean that you are buying because you're doing your own thing? Yeah. So what's, what's that freedom actually look like for you? Because if you look for freedom, but then you're enslaved with 18 hour work days, yeah. that's not freedom. Mm -hmm. That's when you are, replacing one thing with another thing, mm -hmm. but you're still not free. Mm. So we want to look at what that freedom means mm. to you. And then we know where you are. And then it just becomes a process because then if I, you know, it's like math. If I have these two points, mm. I can't figure out how I'm going to get you from there to there, but I have to have these two points firmly in place. Yeah. And filling in the middle part is obviously where you would come in where you've, you've helped yes. them define the end and you obviously know where they're at now but filling in the middle part is is like where you go right this is step one two three four and however many steps it takes is is what i'm here to to help you do yes because if you grow your authority and scale your impact what authority is that yeah and what impact are you making yeah how do you help people decide what their impact is? Because, you know, most people don't really know what, what their impact is in the world or what their thing is. And you said just recently, your astrologer said to you, oh, your thing is, you know, to help empower leaders. But, you know, what you didn't realize you were doing is you're already doing that. So you're already helping people empower themselves. But how do you help them get to that kind of same realization that you couldn't really realize for yourself? I have a system for that. I like literally I have a whole process and a system for that where I take people through that's, that's the work that I do because I think in processes and systems. So if I know where I need to go, I mm. can develop the process to get there. And then it is my super skill, Sam is I can, when I hear people talk mm. in my head, it looks for the pieces that fit together. Yeah. And because I build so many systems and business models, I have heard so many different things 
that when I hear something that really stands out, that that is a hero, mm. I can immediately pull that in and say, that's it. That's it. I have, um, there's a, a great book that I'm reading by John Levy called You're Invited. And John wrote this book about community building, and he's a master community builder. Yeah. And when I read the book, he, he kind of just like throws in this concept of the key to community building is to make an ask. Mm. And I immediately reached out to him and I said, John, I said, we met only a, a few times. I said, but I want to tell you that this is something that I have not heard mm-hmm. from anyone ever yeah. is you need to make an ask. I've heard community building 10,000 times before. Yeah. I've heard, you know, here are the parameters, the whatever, but that the key to community building is to make an ask. That is completely new. And it wasn't the hero of the book. So I, I call him and I said, John, we need to talk mm. because I perceiving something that is so obvious to me. How many times in your life, you know, let's, let's just play this here for a second, Sam. Yeah. How comfortable are you going out and asking for something? See, the funny Other thing than is, maybe being a guest on a podcast. Do you know what's funny? My whole life, I've always kind of been okay with asking people to do things because I'm like, the worst thing they can say is no. And then if they don't say no, it might be maybe. And a maybe is an open door to either a yes or a no. And I'm just like, you know, at the end of the day, what do I have to do? So I've always been a bit kind of happy-go-lucky. But I feel like most people are always scared to ask for something because they, they've they already told themselves the answer is no. See what I mean? It's not just that, but look at women. So women are being told that we have to do twice as much to get to the same level. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that in your community, that's probably no different. Yeah. And the number suggests it's not even twice as much is probably more like two thirds more. Yeah. And uh, if we look at the uh, Latin community, we know that number is now 70% more just to get to that same level Mm -hmm. as a white man. So you being taught that you need to show up as a subject matter expert hard every single day. Yeah. Now, what does a subject matter expert not do? A subject matter expert does not appear to be weak. Yeah. So a subject matter expert cannot be asking a lot of questions because the subject matter expert must have all the answers. Mm-hmm. So we are now, we, we, we created all these people that don't know how to ask for things mm-hmm. because it is considered a sign of weakness. Yeah. Or in my case, in my upbringing with my mother, where when she knew what I wanted, she used it as leverage. Right. So I unlearned how to ask for anything mm. Because it wasn't safe yeah. to ever ask for anything. Mm. So now we have a whole world littered with a few people that know how to ask for things and they keep winning. Yeah. And we have a whole bunch of people that don't know how to ask for anything. But that builds the trust and the community and the engagement with each other. So when I heard that, and this is just to go back to an example. Mm. This is how my brain works. This is, this is how I find out how I can help people mm-hmm. because I, I find the thing and it comes easy and naturally and quickly to me mm-hmm. to say, how do you feel about that? 
And then John says, I've not even thought about it like that. Let's, 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 let's talk about this. I want to hear what you have to say. So we are often in the way we perceive life relatively limiting mm-hmm. because we can't see outside of our realm of possibilities. Mm-hmm. It's my job when people come to me and they say, I want to play bigger. I'm done. I'm done with working myself to death. I'm done being overwhelmed, frustrated. I'm done not having systems. I'm done not having processes. I know it's going to be a, a work, I, I, but I want to get out on the other side because I want that freedom, mm-hmm. but I don't, but I, I need to somehow not take all this, what I've done and, and push it through this opening so that when I come out at the other side, it's like neatly organized in one, two, three, four, five. I have people who do things. I have processes, standard operational procedures, so I can really blow my business up. Then you call me yeah. and that's what we do. I have a quote here from you which, you know, it's not nothing to catch or anything weird like that. It, it's, it says, someone needs what you provide. It is your job to find that person, show them your differentiation factor and give them a clear offer that they cannot say no to. So how do we structure that offer in the best way? Obviously that's, you know, glossing over hours and hours of work, but just to get the listener kind of in that mindset of how to structure these offers, give us the basics. Yeah, so the basics is that I developed a diagnostic tool, a whole system, and it's called the Five Star Success Blueprint. And in the Five Star Success Blueprint, and and I'll be happy to share this with your audience, there are five steps that you need to follow. The first one is you got to get clear what the idea is. And the idea is, why are you doing this? Why are you the right person to do it? What is it that we are doing? Can we explain it clearly? And who is our client? Once we have this piece in place, we look into the offer. That's the second. And you only can do the offer when you've done the first. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't know who you're serving, then you don't know what their problems are. So the offer needs to solve what this person is going through or the different types of avatars. Most people don't have just one avatar. They have about two or three that they are selling to with a sweet spot. Then from you know, knowing who it is, knowing what you do, to understanding their problems, creating an offer that solves that problem, now you built the system. Yeah. So please do not go out and start a social media campaign unless you have these other two pieces in place because you'll just you just wasting time and money. Yeah. Then you build the system so that the offer can help that person. Mm. Once you have the system, then you need to go to the fourth step, which is the team. Then you need to figure out who are the people that can actually run the system so that the offer solves the problem to the people you're serving. And then finally, the the final step is then we look at you as a leader. Do you have what it takes to be the leader? And what do we need to do to now have you step out of ownership into leadership? How, and how do we step out of ownership into leadership? And what if we aren't the ideal leader? Should we look for someone else to to lead our business or, or to, to be that person? Or should we try to build those skills ourselves? It depends on whether or not that's innate to you. Some people, again, you know, we have to start with the end goal in mind. If you are building up an equity business that you want to do an exit on and you don't want to be in charge, 
then this business might need to be set up in such a way that you are the, um, you know, the CEO, but not the president. And then we'll look for somebody who is uh, the president of the company or the general manager who then, or the managing partner or whatever that might be, who then as you exit the company can then be sold along with, with the company, but you still get to make your exit. So the business system, the model, the structure always follows the plan, but most people don't even think about this. I want to do another exit. So that's what we're working toward. You know, we're, we're now heavily into building uh, systems so that we can um, serve our clients better by, by providing those systems for them and helping them build them because we are recognizing now that people are done with watching online Zoom online uh, content and trying to figure it out on their own mm. that they actually rather spend more money, invest the money and have somebody do it with them. Who's done this before. They are now understand how much v- time versus money or money versus time is, is worth to them. That's mm-hmm. uh, who we are working with. Yeah. And so we work alongside with them. We tell them how we do it. We tell them what to do. And then we teach them how to build the systems. And then we help them with their um, admin team to build those systems. And if they want, we provide the people for them. Piate, you're really knowledgeable and, and quite intelligent. And I'm curious about where you learned these skills or how you learned these skills. Is it from books, podcasts, maybe even when you were doing what you were doing, podcasts weren't even really a thing. But where where do you do most of your learning? I, I'm a little bit of a junkie. So I, I think I need to join... Um, AppSumo Anonymous, right? Like uh, AppSumo is... <laughs> AppSumo, the, the company where they have all those constant SaaS things coming out and all that kind of oh stuff. Oh my God. It's like, you know, I, I think I should be limited and allowed to uh, to buy certain things. So no, I mean, I've done, I've probably invested over half a million into my education. Mm. I've, I've done, you know, from all the big marketers or the names out there, probably done just about everything. And I look at it and... You know, in the way, again, the way my brain works is I, I take these pieces and I recognize that everybody else is what I call nichesizing. Yeah. So they get so deep into the niche that nobody ever sees the big picture. Mm. And so that's when this idea was born of the growth architect. I'm like, people are now so overwhelmed with all these niche offers mm-hmm. that they don't even know how to, how to get to the big picture. So I help people to see the big picture so that they know which system is even going to work for them. Yeah. Because everybody out there on whether that's Jeff Walker with a product launch, he says, buy my system and your life will be amazing from here on out. And then yeah. you go and buy Keep or Infusionsoft, uh, what it was formerly called. And they say, if you work with our CRM, your life will be amazing because everything is automated. And you go, automate what? Yeah. And then you go to Kajabi and they say, no, 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 no. All you have to do is online courses and your life will be easy. Mm. And, you know, everybody has their like little things, but nobody teaches you the big picture. So I think that I went into this excessive learning mm. because I felt that I needed to find my positioning and it wasn't until COVID, really, until that became so clear to me as I'm, you know, in my coming out party, um, that I really feel that the world needs somebody who can help them to see the big picture yeah. and break it down and help people to say, here are all the systems that are out there. Hmm. 
I'm recommending this. That's not for you. Don't waste your money on that. If you do strategies, do a strategy per quarter. Do no more than four strategies a year. Mm. Uh, fix the lead generation first. You know, so so really having that clear guideline of what do I even do with all of that convoluted mess that's sitting here. Yeah. So I learn by I listen to podcasts, I read, I go to conferences. My uh, my partner is part of the entrepreneur organization. I'm a coach at uh, entrepreneur organization as an accelerator coach, which I love. I'm always around other entrepreneurs. I'm always listening. I'm always hearing. What do you do when I see something that's coming from a service I don't know? I go check it out. I'm just perpetually curious. Yeah. I'm just afraid I'm going to run out of time to learn one day. <laughs> I think some of the best entrepreneurs in the world, you know, and you included in that, are constantly curious, and, and that's what keeps them going. But one thing I, I want to ask you now is, you know, looking back on what you have done and, and what you might do in the future, what is it that brings you the most joy about what you do? For me, the when I see that somebody I work with and the lights come on, they go out, they close a $100,000 deal the next day and they go out and because I, I measure my, my impact by the impact I make. And so if I have someone who creates an ethical framework for AI and we work together, we built the system, she goes out, she closes a five-figure deal. And then I think about what an ethical framework for AI what an impact they will have on the world. There's nothing better than that. I mean, that's it. That's it to me. I have a client who is an injector who does uh, Botox and filler injections. And while this might look superficial, but the reality of it is that the stories, he's saving lives. You know, these are women that have been replaced by husbands that, you know, are going on their second or third set of wives and kids that um, are not feeling good about themselves, that are feeling, you know, that oftentimes, you know, have, have uh, just painful stories to tell and he makes them feel beautiful about themselves. So helping him build the system so that he can help more people because he's teaching them now in their method. And then they go out and they make more women or men feel beautiful. That is, that's what I do it for. I don't judge what the business is because that's not my job. But my job is to help scale impact because that scales my impact. That's what I'm doing it for. Tell the listeners, where can they find you online? So number one, you know, if you are a woman and you heard something, go get the book, Happy Woman, Happy World. You'll find it on Amazon, audiobook and printed book and as an ebook. If you want to listen to strategies, go and check out my podcast, The Business Growth Architect Show, available wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to connect with me directly, go find me on any social media and uh, uh, check out my website at beateschillette.com. There's a lot of uh, free stuff available for you to look through. And finally, we are just launching a brand new um, a brand new piece and it's called uh, the three, uh, you know, I, I still have to look at it because it's so new. The three essential framework elements to grow your authority. And you can go and get that at successblueprint.biz. That is, at the time of this recording, literally just being published. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. 
we would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend. 